0: Do you think the industry's there on where people have a measure of what good looks like when under the term of platform engineering? No,
1: the industry isn't there. And that's partly because of people like myself who are shouting buzzwords. Yeah, Casper. <laughs> <laughs> Stop with the buzzwords.
0: <laughs> Welcome to an episode of Cloud Unplugged. Jay and I are joined by Kasper von Grunberg, the founder and CEO of Humanitech. We sit down in this episode to talk about everything platform engineering, what it means to be a platform engineer, why you would want to do platform engineering, and whether or not having strong opinions of a platform are good or a bad thing. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Casper. Obviously, thanks for joining the podcast. It'd be great to obviously introduce yourself, hear a little bit about you and what you're up to and the problems you're solving, and then take it from there.
1: Sure, would love to. So thank you so much for having me. And am I am the uh, CEO of Humanitech. I've been doing platform engineering for a a good amount of time now, building internal developer platforms. I've been fairly active in the community of platform engineering. And in the end, it's all about, I would say, developer self-service and making the experience and the day-to-day for developers less frustrating and fundamentally for the organization, reduce time to market and lead time. And that is what we are trying to help with, with our set of tools. We have a platform orchestrator. You can think of this more or less like a a rules engine to establish a sort of a contract between the developers who need something and the platform engineers who asynchronously respond to this. And this contract is basically done with every single deployment, and we're regenerating application and infrastructure configurations. call that approach dynamic configuration management leads to a very high degree of standardization, great developer experience, and a very consistent approach to working. We have open source tools. SCORE is an example. SCORE is a workload specification. It's basically like a recipe where developers can order what they need with every single deployment. So a developer could say, hey, my workload needs a Postgres, DNS, and file storage. And you're sending this through your CI CD pipeline. Hits the orchestrator, and then everything gets generated. And last, we have drivers and, you know, you can think of drivers like extension points for your platform, why are you up for, to infrastructure as code, why are you up to cloud APIs, to your on-prem setup and all of that. And yeah, that's what we're building and that's what we're implementing at, I would say, usually larger uh, enterprises, primarily in North America and uh, Europe and a little bit Australia.
0: I was going to ask about that as in who you feel should be adopting platform engineering as a principle. I guess, what's the motivator for a business to understand when they should adopt, I guess, sometimes, I guess in some ways, the methodology around it where there's a justification for the business to, I guess, an element of centricity to centralize the engineering into some common place. And do you think it's about, it's like a certain amount of scale? What would your suggestion be to, to customers? Like, How do you identify the problem to then get to platform engineering as a solution?
1: So there is this it's basically about communication lines, right? And you're in a small team, communication lines are fast, you're 20 developers, everybody knows everything, you're well aligned. If you need something, you ask your friend and that person sitting next to you. You probably don't have the security posture, the requirements, a high degree of standardization maybe doesn't actually yield the return on investment that you would be looking for, right? Usually my advice is to a team with 20 engineers, is like, please use Heroku, Heroku is great. There's no reason to use anything else. If you're not using Heroku, you're probably fine with, you know, Terraform and Helm charts and a little chaotic, but that's that's fine. You know, being chaotic is not not that bad. It can be very creative and it's okay. Now, if you're saying, hey, we're 20 right now, but we're growing to 200, you know, the situation is probably different. Like you should be a lot more standardized right now already to facilitate that scale up, and then. If you have 50 developers, 500 developers, 5,000 developers, well, then I'm not a huge fan of shifting everything left and doing that hardcore, you build it, you run it at all cost. There is a real value in specialization, right? Because otherwise, specialization is very often happening on the back of some people of the team that actually want to focus on React.js, if you want to put it like that. I guess in some
0: ways what you're saying is, there's a tipping point of the level of chaos, at a certain amount of scale that you're going to be comfortable with is what I'm hearing. And it's like, at some point, that's the scales tip, right. And it's kind of tilts in the wrong direction. And then you're like, actually, we need to manage this chaos somehow. And platform engineering is a better way of starting to take a bit of control around the repeatability of something to get the consistency. The flip side is if the motivator is then that developers should just, you know, the business values that the development hands, right, in, in some ways, and the more they can do, the and more productive they are, the better the chances of innovation happening, the better the chances you are to get to market. So is it wrong to then just say, well, let's just give the developers access to the cloud, here's a bunch of services, or, you know, like, that's faster, potentially, and, because I've seen that too, we've seen people will be like, well, maybe we're getting in the way, of the team, maybe we should just be like giving them access and well, a lot
2: lot of people think enablement is is access. And those two things are the same, right? It's like, Oh, yeah, we're going to enable the
1: developers,
2: therefore, get out of the way and just give them access. But what are your thoughts on
1: that? Well, if you're doing this, you're trying to apply a very simple answer to a pretty complex problem, that very rarely works. The reality is that if you're giving people access to everything, and you're just letting them do their thing, then you're distracting them, right. And you're leading to an incredible overhead and in maintenance. And that's not because the individual developer isn't capable. Like Terraform isn't that hard. Helm charts aren't hard, right? But there is a huge difference between, let's stick with that example. One Helm chart is not complicated, but hundreds of Helm charts become complex. That, that's a wild difference, right? I think what we have in our heads is like, Oh, those are capable developers and they're engineers and they should be able to do everything. Yet, yeah, I mean, they're capable engineers, of course. And I'm not saying that they're not capable of doing this, but I'm I'm saying that large systems with people constantly changing drop roles have an inherent complexity. And by just saying, Oh, we'll just let everybody do everything, you're offloading that complexity on the individuals. And then middle management shouts at them say so like, ah, our delivery isn't fast enough. And you know, we're screwing up and we're not innovating and you know, you need to move faster. And at the same time they're reducing, you know, spending on operations and nobody wins. And there will be pressure on operations because they're now bashing through repetitive tickets. There's pressure on developers because they're overwhelmed and distracted. There's pressure on management because they're not delivering their goals. Nobody wins. And so I don't think that this is a very clever approach. And then are usually the situations where you can't, simply impossible to do that. Like financial industry, you're a big bank. It's just like to believe that you can say, oh, everybody decides how the S3 bucket is configured in production. That's just not going to happen. It's a, you know, very cute idea, but naive.
0: Yeah. Do you think, though, that people understand the, because I guess with platform engineering in itself, even though it's been around a while in certain organizations, especially the engineering-led businesses like the airbnbs or the monzos and people like that where they've had a much engineering minded perspective of not just the business model that they're trying to solve and operate in but also the whole function as a whole and all problems they're probably treating all problems as equal problems to the business because productivity has the same value internally to the market they're also trying to enter because it's of the speed but i know now it's become more mainstream but the understanding what good looks like. Do you think the industry's there on where people have a measure of what good looks like when under the term of platform engineering?
1: No, the industry isn't there. And that's partly because of people like myself who are shouting buzzwords, but- are... Yeah, buzzwords. <laughs> Stop with the buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, no it's, no, it's like, that's literally true. I'm, I'm very fast in saying like golden path and developer self-service and all of these things, but we're falling short in providing Actual concrete answers, actual reference architectures, actual best practices. And, you know, also pretty easy to criticize yourself. More interesting question to ask, you know, what are we doing about it? We need to put things into perspective on how how fast this is moving, right? There was the the term internal developer platform didn't exist three years ago, right? I mean, I was in the room when that was first used and that it didn't. this just simply like look into the Xeo history. There's just... Not in existence before that, and that's like yeah, three years ago. Then takes a little time to propagate through. Then the you know Manuel Pais, team topologies. They're all writing about this for for a couple of years now. they tremendous job, but you know there was so much to do, like figuring out the different things. How does that fit together? What are what are repeatable patterns? What are you observing? And to be fair, like we're all still learning. I, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but I'm we're all really. At the very beginning of this journey, and I'm trying to provide more concrete answers, and we're all trying to provide more concrete answers. Uh, if you look at the upcoming platform, there's a whole track on blueprints and reference architectures, and I'm working very hard in making sure that we have as many actual, you know best practices and ideas and guidance. But again, early days, lots of buzzwords. I think 2023 is going to be fundamental. For this movement if we're not able to deliver concrete ideas beyond put a shiny ui on top of jenkins then this isn't going to go far from our
0: observations the complexity of technology is obviously exponentially growing in parallel to obviously the terminologies in the the industry right so there's more and more services that come out for different reasons innovations happening and then businesses are kind of clocking i think businesses may be a much more cognitive and aware of technologies that are coming out than they used to be, where everything was quite, I mean, years ago, everything was, there was less of it and it was very defined and it didn't move at the same pace. And now there's loads more of it and it's more accessible. And I think people are a little bit more clued up, especially for developers on technologies coming out that might help them, which then puts the pressure on teams, the platform engineering teams to some degree, where their fight is to not be the blocker to the innovation around them.
2: Don't you think though that's because platform engineering exists to a certain degree, right? Where, because it's given them time back. So where you have, you know, these platforms that are enabling developers to look at just their application, just the business logic, you know, delivering value, they can look at innovative ways to do that with what's being done in the industry overall versus having to solve How do I host my application? How do I iterate on it? You know, all all of the operational things that are made easier because this exists.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, that takes a while to kick in. I don't think many, many organizations in the benchmarking reports and in the data that we're overseeing, that's the sentiment, right? Look at the Puppet report, look at our benchmarking reports or whatever you find out there. You know, it's hinting at that. Frankly, I think will yield the big results of platform engineering in 2024, 2025. You need a while until this is really producing DRI. The, the organizations I know that are there are seeing tremendous return on investment, right? So because you need to go through, over this threshold, I think we'll, we'll have the issue for a, for a number of years to come that people are delaying that step and underfunding that step. I very often hear these sentiments. Oh, you know, look at the CNCF landscape. There are so many tools and like, how is that sustainable? And then I'm always wondering if you're looking into any car factory, right? Tesla, you look at the sheer amount of tools, providers, vendors, robots, automation scripts, that you need to build these huge factories, right? And you would put them on a on a large piece of paper. You know, I bet you that paper would be like three times the size of the CNCF landscape.
2: Yeah. So true.
1: But I mean that's that, that's sort of everybody knows that because it's incredibly hard to build a car. There's this perception in the market that it's really simple to build a distributed microservice application for a large bank in New York. But it's not simple. It is incredibly hard. And that entire industry is moving billions of US dollars, it's powering the economy, it's the centerpiece of what we're all doing, right? It's really one of the industries for the future. Everything is digitalized. There's an enormous pressure on engineers, on engineering teams, global delivery, global scale. Of course, we need a lot of specialized tools. And of course, we need to spend more time building those digital factories if we want to stay in that analogy.
2: If anyone is listening to this, and hears that analogy of the Tesla landscape, <laughs> please, please go out and document it. Like, have a Tesla uh, delivery landscape and a and CNCF one, and we can <laughs> map the two that to <laughs> To be fair, I'm
0: in conflict of two minds with these things, but that's probably just my personality trait to, to agree with. <laughs> conflicted exactly a conflicted individual whereas there's the humanistic element of people wanting to solve problems and the fear of something solving it which right so forming an opinion of how to fix something like the tesla car they formed an opinion on something and the tesla car is a tesla car platform engineering is less opinionated right so therefore not quite the same analogy because you aren't really creating the car and you're creating many different cars and many different things which i think is then and that's probably playing to the fact that how many snowflakes can you have of business models around a certain set of described things? I'm not sure, but is that a humanistic problem or is it actually a technology problem? And I think there's two different things at play is like how the real value is standardization in truth and you can solve the problem. Everything's there to solve it with, right? It's a very discrete set of parameters that you're working with, however, it's always hard for people to have something that solved it for them when you're the person that wants to be motivated to solve it. And therein lies, I think, a bit of the conflict of people want to go on the journey of the solution rather than being told what it is. And whether that's optimal for a company is questionable in the end, because you're like, you know, is that the most optimal way? For the business maybe not necessarily but the market's probably going to do it that way a little bit because everyone's got to go on it on the journey so there is a slight difference between the two things yeah
1: and that's deeply human right yeah i'm 100 percent with you like and i also let's make this the hour of soviet style self-criticism if i'm thinking of my you know i don't know three three four years ago and how i thought about products it was way too prescriptive and it was way too I mean, there was a certain, you know, arrogance to it, you know, where one would convey that one would understand best practices or how things should be better than others. And, you know, this very clear idea how the Tesla car should be built, right? Now, the world is too complex, especially the world we're in, uh, it, it's too complex to forecast the Tesla car. And I have learned since that we are really only serving the builders, right? And what the builders want to build, they should be building. and. We shouldn't have an opinion and it's none of our business how an S3 bucket is configured and it's none of our business on how role-based control is served and none of our business what interface choice you have, none of this is our business. If we are not able to provide technologies that enable the builders to build whatever they want, then we have no reason to exist, quite frankly. I would say, however, that there is a certain consolidation happening in the industry, uh, which is driven by, in particular, the larger cloud vendors. And so there is a certain similarity in the general architectures that, that I'm observing. But you're hinting at a very good point. It's a little bit like the low-code paradigm, right? If you are extremely granular in your low-code approach, then you're back to you know programming, right? And so this is sort of a, always a a little bit of a balance. And I'm not sure whether the final answer is out there yet. But if you're looking at the progression of the industry, it's a constant evaluation of where is the cutoff point in terms of abstraction. Yeah. And I think that's healthy because we don't want to over-index. In
2: that example you just gave about sort of giving the builders the tools, are the builders
1: the platform engineers or the developers? They're both, right? I'm even, at this point, very hesitant to differentiate the user groups because sometimes the developers play certain, like, we try to find similarities, what user group is doing what. They're all called differently, but that varies by organization as well. Some developers are doing baseline configurations here and tweaking interfaces and all of that. And in some cases, it's completely different. There are blurry lines. And blurry lines are okay. And the tools we're building should be completely fine and they shouldn't have any opinion on who is who and what user profile.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, it almost seems like we're being in that self-critical journey. It feels like externally we might be looked on as exacerbating that problem, right? Because we're yet another tool, yet another, uh, another thing, part of that landscape. So where you have... You know, going back to the sort of Tesla and car analogy, yes, they've built obviously warehouses and, and factories that build cars, but they don't do just build a car to any spec. They have blueprints of the cars that they build and those blueprints fit different models, right? They fit fit the model of a family with, I don't know, five or six people in and you know wanting to go in size or the kind of faster cars that have a smaller number of people and and that want to go for speed. So it's being kind of crystal clear with those blueprints and giving those options rather than sort of having lots of different, when you're almost unopinionated and you're just a bunch of sort of things to sort of tie together, it feels more like we're exacerbating the problem than not, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, when I'm looking at ChatGPT, in its volume for now i'm looking at this and for the first time in my life i'm thinking wow this is actually threatening me a little bit at least yeah for sure and i i'm I'm in that in that seat now i was like "Hmm." i caught myself today realizing now i have to basically change my way of working and i have to basically integrate yet another tool into my way of doing things. And I have to amplify myself because I know this is like the, the people that are 20 years li- younger than me, they've started yesterday, right? Making sure that when they write something, they r- write it in a 10th of the time because it's in their workflow. And I, I know all of that and it still sucks because it's yet another thing that I have to do with, you know, the, the children that are running around me and the, company I have to manage and all of these things. And that's the same experience that everybody else has, right? But by all means, that doesn't mean that we don't need to have that next step, right? We are elevating things. We're making things more efficient. We are moving things forward. And if you think of the you know, early days of CI, for instance, I recall people saying, oh yeah, we're building those pipelines ourselves. And you know, we don't have dedicated systems to do that. And then Ask any of these people whether they're using GitHub Actions now. And they'll all say yes, right? Because it, it, it ultimately, they jumped and then they realized, oh, I can do other things now. And it will be the same experience for me. In, in six months, I'll have Jet GPT integrated in my life and it will change my life to the better.
0: When you were talking about like not forming opinions, is the motivator, because you're saying we sh- you know, it's not our role to form opinions. I guess there's two things on that. One is more humanistic on like, is that because there's a fear of forming an opinion that it might be rejected, of that like it isn't a value? The second one is when people do form opinions, which cloud vendors have in some ways the the wealth to form opinions, right? So they can afford to get things wrong because they're getting quite a lot right <laughs> when it comes to financials. So, And when they do there's sometimes you'll see true value get hit by being more opinionated to take some complexity away because it's difficult in this web and this isn't necessarily just to you i mean anybody in platform engineering to a point there can be a reluctance to want to form an opinion for the fear of it not being right and when they form it as much as it being a value and sometimes getting things wrong by forming opinions gets you to the right thing too so do you think psychologically that's part of it or do you think just generally we should be more open minded and let people try and work it out for themselves
1: well no 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 i'm i'm very opinionated very <laughs> opinionated <laughs> i think i i think i'm i'm known to be very opinionated and i think it's fine to be very opinionated but i don't want to dictate my opinion on 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 others and i don't want to build tools that leave people no choice it's totally fine to form like i i think i really believe that we we would do g- good if we would have more clear opinions because i've seen hundreds of setups, literally hundreds of setups. And for, for many people, like they have maybe seen three, four setups in their career, right? And they're a little bit in a platonic cave and they have that I'm a special snowflake situation because how should they know different? And I can provide value by saying, hey, I've seen this 30 times play out like this. You don't have to be the 31st. But that doesn't mean that, first of all, I might be wrong. So I have a very specific subset of the market. I'm not ChatGPT. I know enterprise as well in a certain segment. So make sure that you question my opinion, right? It's only one opinion. And second, the reality is always very dirty. And if the, the tools we're providing are, it isn't able to actually include the dirt if you want, right? then, then we're failing the user.
0: What happens if your opinion technically, even though you don't want to impose it, actually was of value when it was imposed? I guess that's the question, isn't it? Like, Maybe that opinion was actually a really good, valuable opinion in the end for most people and by not opposing it, you know, I've just been deliberately controversial as well on this, but it's true, like the flip side of it is you could have brought value by actually just sticking to your guns and being like, do you know what, I just believe, and people can then rationalize it enough to prove you wrong, but there's a better way. And if there is a better way, then that's great also, because we're open, it's not that you're saying by having the opinion, I'm discounting any progression beyond my own. What you're just saying though, is I'm gonna form a strong sure opinion and let's see if that's a value. And that's also, I sometimes think healthy. I don't, I don't think there's a clear right or wrong, by the way, so it's not like a leading question, but sometimes it is just healthy just to be like, Do you know what, I, my experience tells me that whatever that bias is, it's definitely a bias, that's okay, I'm biasing. I'm biasing to my experience and if and I think that this opinion under this bias is probably gonna be better than what else I can see right now. <laughs> right. So and that's not always bad, but it's obviously to not to everyone's taste.
2: Better is the point where it's contentious, right? It's cause it's yeah, it's, it's just one. Yeah. That's the that's the thing that's probably like having an opinion is great because all of those That bias, all of that is like a culmination of experience and knowledge and all of those things. But then it's what you do with it and how you kind of educate, communicate, articulate those things with the company that you're working with.
1: I mean, again, I'm very opinionated. I have, for instance, a very clear opinion that you shouldn't break the workflow of a developer. I have a very clear opinion that I have a certain problem with UI-heavy workflows, including UI-heavy workflows on our own products, by the way. My very clear opinion, right? You know, I'm not making only friends, uh, both internally and externally, like, absolutely clear. I was of the opinion for a while that in the end, it's a market, and the market is basically choosing what opinions win by saying this makes sense, this doesn't make sense. So, basically, if you want to think about it from a mathematical perspective, I, I, I believed in the fact that sort of a large market. Moves and optimizes towards a global maximum, but I, I, I'm not of that opinion anymore. I actually believe that with marketing and with you know a lot of well thought through YouTube videos and by playing the psychological dispositions of the user groups, you are actually able to move the industry into a local maximum, and that's obviously you know bad because it is inefficient. And so if you're in such an exposed position and you are very opinionated and you are moving the market, you have a wild responsibility and you need to make sure that you're actually very you're very self-conscious and you're questioning yourself regularly. And you're also, you know, you're go, getting out and say, I was wrong on this. You I think is a good, good example. I was wrong on this. Like I hardcore pushed this three years ago. Well, that wasn't a good idea.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree on the manipulation of the market and obviously marketing that can kind of happen. At the same time I think there's sometimes a discount on the creation of other markets from the market. So you could argue the cloud security market is a predication of the problem of how you've got to cloud, right? So yes, you can go and find tools in that new market that's all about cloud security but you weren't in the cloud before and now you are in the cloud and now you need a security tool and the question is why (laughs) right so you do like look at it as a as a be like something went wrong i'm presuming for you to decide that you need something later to kind of help you with something else and then really you're like are you treating the symptom or are you actually getting to the root cause of why you're now feeling the need and that market is really symptomatic of Problems being created from other markets, I think, and it's creating markets from markets, and you know, therein kind of lies the model that kind of gets goes on. So you could look at it and be like, "Well, actually, if that had been done properly, would that market exist?" I don't know. <laughs> would exist? I don't know. Maybe a market would have been there. So there is also a duty on, like, if it's customer centric too, that there's now a cost to a business, right, on both ends because I've got to spend money to get there, I've got to spend money to know that how I've got there is right, I've got to spend money. You know, and so there is a little bit from when you're thinking about the customer duty of the fact that, well, maybe that's not right. So that's, you can kind of form other, I wouldn't say they're like strong opinions, but you know something's wrong when when there's a ramification of some decisions that got made and there was something that occurred that's now caused a problem to be then addressed. There is an element of, I see platform engineering being a motivated to prevent that that doesn't mean that you're going to destroy the market obviously that's not what i'm kind of saying but at least reduce it so it's more of an insurance card right it's an insurance thing not a thing where you've got a massive book of work to be like great i've got to somehow work out how to fix all of these problems post the event the horse has bolted you know more that yes i'm doing a good job that's great and so and I'm not sure that's the reality at the moment in the market it feels like it's more of an insurance which is why you see the growth of Wiz, you know exponential growth right there's there's a reason for that beyond just the marketing there must definitely be a need so those things is what I see like platform engineering is can be also problematic maybe it solves the problem it could also create the problem it could introduce extra cost it might reduce cost again it's very hard to understand because it's the linchpin between so many conduits, you know, so it's got a big responsibility, I think,
1: to kind of get it right. (laughs) Otherwise, it can be very costly. If we're getting the reference architectures and the best practices wrong, we are costing a very large amount of people a very good chunk of money.
2: The good thing about that, though, is it's a clear trade-off, right? So what you're almost saying with platform engineering is that you don't have to sort of trade off your time and effort trying to duplicate all this effort, doing things that isn't really directly linked to business value. You take these principles and apply them centrally and enable developers to do things. But ultimately, you're trading off a little bit more in terms of risk because now you've centralized risk rather than decentralized it, potentially depending on how you're looking at things but that's it. Everything, everything to a certain degree is a trade-off, but at least you've got a way to manage those trade-offs in a better way overall for an organization. And similarly, you know, why people get like cloud security products or whatever, they get to make informed decisions because they get all of that information in a single place versus having to spend lots of time and effort trying to find all of the, risk that they have in the business and then and then make decisions against it so everything is a trade-off everything is an exchange of value in some way because we are naturally living in a capitalist market but it's good for companies to sort of understand that to a certain degree and, and just be cognizant of the fact that like some trade-offs are less costly than others if i put it that way
0: yeah do you see then as well i think i totally agree with that on the on the trade do you see then Catherine Because at the moment, there's a lot of focus on productivity, developer productivity, developer platform. Do you also see the security aspect being also a key representation of that platform, where at the moment, the focus is enablement, which is also right, because it's business value, but the stakeholders are very different?
1: No, 100%. So that's actually a great example. We are speaking about this element of, uh, of platforming right now and why are we doing this well because we need to start somewhere you know we we all have only so much capability of working on these things and then actually explaining and structuring them and you know i have that all the time like if you're doing platforming well you you're a huge utility to the to the to the safety and to the security team in general if you're thinking about it like i know very many setups where if you're configuring a new resource with Infrastructure as code, you're sending it to the security team first, and they're reviewing this, and they're looking at this, and saying, yeah, oh, this makes sense, and are them Incredibly draining process, right? Open the ticket, open the file, somebody wrote code, understand the code, make sure, like, do test runs, make sure that nothing goes wrong, signal back, and then do that 80 times a day. That's not why we became engineers, right? And so the security process and the security persona itself needs to be way more ingrained into that whole thing, is a big stakeholder, but we're just not there yet.
0: Yeah, that's fair, and it is it is difficult. I guess the organizational setup, current organizational setups are very still, ironically, even after all of the DevOps movement, they're still quite siloed, which you kind of think is quite mind-blowing after all those years of having, you know, and it's not that there wasn't huge effort in the communities to talk about those things like DevOps and DevSecOps and the movements and what they mean and the methodologies. But in practice, it didn't quite work, I would say, because you still see, maybe it got better, definitely, but it's hard to correlate what impact it actually had in the end. Whether it had a positive one or not, it's really difficult to see because it's not measured very well, I suppose, is really the reality of it.
2: It's hard. I guess it's hard to kind of play two timelines of the world and see what yeah. would have happened before and after, right? There are obviously some things that are happening that you can kind of confidently say are because of things like platform engineering or you know DevOps or whatever, things do get released quicker, hopefully, and that's measurable and, and lives do become slightly easier and more and more people can come into the industry niching in on just the things that they are good at versus being sort of jack of all trades. So there's like clear sort of benefits to the market. But it's just like more and more people are coming into the market. And one thing that you you touched on earlier in the conversation is how like new technology like AI, Chat GPT, is going to change that paradigm or or make it make that bar even lower to enter the market. What do you think is going to happen with AI, with platform engineering? Is that going to be disrupted enough in the next sort of few years? And in which way?
1: Yeah, so that is an answer I also try to seek. I don't have a very concrete one. My current feeling is that it's a little bit like the self-driving uh, car problem. I do not think we get to a confidence level in the next five years, let's put it like this, that allows us to put a lot of these things on autopilot. Uh, we will remain in a situation where we want the humans to make the errors, right? which is strange because you know maybe the humans make more errors than the models, right? But I think we still want to, we'll, we'll still have a tendency to, to try to keep the uh, responsibility with a human for now. But then really in the midterm future, basically, it should be, you know, the complexity of the systems is low enough for us to basically describe what we want and send that against a model and then generate everything. There is no technical reason why that shouldn't be the case.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I guess I probably have the same element of the fear of the unknown, of like the displacement of the things you know into a machine that knows and can compute things better. Obviously, I think no one's on their own in that, right? Of like, is it going to be better than what we can produce on our own? And there's obviously a slight egotistical element to that, unfortunately, where you're like, it it hurts your ego to think that, Something's going to come along and be better, you know, a little bit. You know, the reality of that is the case. But I think the inevitability of the value of it is kind of it's obvious. So it's kind of hard to ignore because I think everybody can see the value of it because it's so tangibly witnessed, right? So and then you can't be nothing but just feel insecure, and you're like, yeah, that's really good. So how do I? You know, how do we take, I'm going to have to get on board with it outside of my security anyway. So there's got to be value to, you know, once you get over the emotional aspect of it, you're then like, yeah, this, we need to work out how it can bring value to others, I think. So, yeah, but it's a hard thing.
2: You know, a a really random tidbit, but related is, and I don't think this was a, a meme, but I actually saw a job whose responsibility is to turn off the computer, so turn off AI, press the big red button when it gets close to being sentient or whatever, which is nuts, right? Imagine just like having to sleep next to a computer just
1: in case someone calls you up. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's funny, right? We're an industry that has disrupted so much and cost so many jobs. And we were always the ones saying, oh, you know, you need to go with the flow and the future. You can't keep up the future. And now we're being disrupted, right? I mean, the funny thing now is that the people that are disrupted are the knowledge workers and are the lawyers and the consultants and the programmers and, the, you know, the people that have always said, hmm, pull yourself together. You know, your wages, you know, you're, you now need to start from scratch. But, you know, that's, that's how life is. Now it's us. And all of the sudden, it's not as fun anymore, right? And so that's how it is. The people that now win are the blue-collar workers and the craftsmen and the people that do things you can't, you know, you can't solve with AI. And to a certain degree, that makes me happy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you you can still solve it with AI. I think I think the people that are, people that win is everyone, right? Like. Ultimately, we're just building platforms upon platforms upon platforms, which means that society gets higher. Um, society gets to a place that it can sort of, you know, recognize some of this value as early, simply, and quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see generationally what it means to our space. I kind of like that, what you were saying before, Gasper around obviously there's new, new people coming into the industry and obviously how their perspective's going to look compared to people that have been in the industry for a while is going to be completely different, right? Because they're going to look at the technologies in a completely different way because they started with those technologies, which is really interesting to kind of see what happens because then you're like, who knows what's even, at that point it's like, even though it's really hard to predict if you're entering a space at that point where AI is just the thing, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Because this will be completely, completely transformational. Like I'm looking at our colleagues in social media, for instance. The way they formulate, the speed at which they work. Like it's as if they have a like a third hand or whatever. It's like ingrained in their body. It's like them and the machine. And for me it's really like it's me and the machine and sometimes it works. And and I and I'm pretty technical. So yeah, that's fascinating. It's a completely new generation, even that mobile generation, even that social generation. And now there's the AI generation. And think about what that means for the way people learn, work, go about their daily lives. It's a huge transformation.
0: Yeah, massive transformation. It's going to be so interesting to watch. If somebody's coming into platform engineering or wanting to get into it, what would your advice be to them if they're listening to this and thinking that it's a a thing they want to get into or a career to get into?
1: Well, I would propose to make sure you don't start with the things that feel obvious, you know, and I think the, the things that feel obvious is starting with the UI layer, I've said that before, is a good example, or I think it's way more important to look at what are the things that you want to improve in the workflow? How often do they happen? In what frequency? How much cost do they produce? False rank this and then work through them and make sure you are trying to dissect where opinions come from and apply those that you trust most.
0: Cool. That's really good advice. And if someone wants to get hold of you or
1: of the company, how would they do that too? Send me an email to casper at I will answer to every single email. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much
0: for your time. Been great, great chatting about all of these problems um, and then listening to your stories as well. So it's really useful. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Thank you.